Greetings all and welcome to the Courageous Path podcast with me, Rachel Horton White and Soulful Work Intuitive Consulting. You can learn more about me at www.soulfulworkconsulting.com and don't forget to subscribe or follow this podcast here to get the latest interviews as they come up. I am an intuitive coach, spiritual teacher, and writer. I work with people searching to uncover who they really are and what they're meant to be doing. Merging the spiritual with the everyday through thoughts, emotions, and energy, I support people like you to break through stuck patterns and find your true inner self. I hope you enjoy today's interview. I am delighted today to share an interview called Beautifying Ourselves in the World with Art Therapy with Anne Lawton. Anne E. Lawton believes that art has the potential to heal, transform, and empower individuals and communities. As a registered art therapist, she has worked with inmates, domestic abuse survivors, young adults with depression and anxiety, addicts, and individuals with cognitive impairments. As an artist, Lawton investigates the essences of everyday experiences and circumstances. Visual expression and the process of art making allows her the perspective to transform random, seemingly meaningless events into meaningful and contemplated moments of significance. The splices of paper and washes of paint in her work try to blend the balance between spontaneity and structure visually, yet also serve as a symbolic mirror of the constant swell and swale of finding that balance in her personal and professional life. Lawton received her Bachelor's of Science in Broad Area Art with a minor in Psychology from the University of Wisconsin-River Falls and her Master's in Science in Art Therapy from Mount Mary University in Milwaukee. She teaches full-time in the art department at University of Wisconsin-River Falls and conducts art, adult and child art enrichment classes at various local institutions in western Wisconsin. You can find Anne at aelawton.com and her Instagram tag is ae underscore Lawton. You can email her at lawtonae at gmail.com. Hope you enjoyed this fantastic conversation in which we explore expressing the soul on a deep level, working through trauma without words in art or any form of playing and experimenting with hands, colors, and any type of craft. Good morning, Anne. Good morning, Rachel. It's so wonderful to talk with you again since we met at that beautiful. Joanna Macy retreat in New Mexico a month ago or so. Absolutely. It feels like forever ago, but still really, um, you know, resonating in a month and a half later. I know. And, and you're in Wisconsin. I'm in Maine. But uh, I just, I was so lucky to be able to talk with you and hear about your work in Wisconsin and in other parts of the country and world with art and um, teaching people and making beautiful things. Um, so I'm wondering if you could share a little bit about what it is that you do with art therapy um, in this field and, you know, maybe people that may not actually know what art therapy is. Absolutely. And explaining what art therapy is, uh, is and will be a lifetime uh, occurrence for me. Uh, but luckily, 
around the United States, this, this understanding of art therapy is becoming more uh, present in our contemporary culture. So art therapy is a mental health profession which uses the creative process of making art to enhance and transform uh, individuals, groups, communities, to transform their experiences of hardship uh, whether physical or emotional, into new ways of understanding and new ways of thriving. Mm-hmm. Um, and so with art therapy, um, this is done with an art therapist. And to be an art therapist, one needs to have proper training, typically a master's degree um, in this uh, field. And so with an art therapist, this therapeutic relationship, uh, we go on essentially a creative journey where we bear witness to one another. The art therapist is there as support, uh, emotional and creative support for a client. Mm-hmm. And art therapy is uh, for anyone, anywhere that you would find a traditional therapist or counselor. An art therapist is trained and qualified on the same level, while at the same time knowing uh, the powerful effects of art, the traditions and spiritual and transformative uh, powers that art possesses. Hmm. And so, yeah, it's, it's really revolutionary in that at the same time, not all that surprising that art has been around since prehistory, that humans have been trying to understand their world and their inner processes and states beyond themselves by making visual marks, mm. whether on <laughs> cave walls yeah. or hide. Um, to declare uh, their faith, to explore ideas that are hard to put to words. Um, And this is obviously continuing. It's never gone away. There has never been a culture without art. And so in in hindsight, also that art uh, art therapy, uh, I mean, you could you could say it's been around forever, but Mm -hmm. as a field, it really became predominant and had that label of a profession since about the 1930s. Hmm. Uh, On the other hand, um, psychology is a very young science. It's only been around since the mid 1800s. So I liked, there's a sense of comfort knowing that art came first. (laughs) So, um, but by it, it it makes so much sense naturally that the two would intertwine together because um, humans make art not only to beautify their world, but to understand themselves better. And that's I mean, the whole point of psychology, right? So yeah. being able to marry the two together is a really beautiful and powerful, powerful um, occurrence to happen. And it, it, to be a witness to that, not only within my own artistic practice, but when I am working with clients uh, from a variety of needs, um, it, is, it is truly a sight to be seen and it's a privilege to be there with them. Yeah. So I'm curious, which... I have a feeling I know the answer to this already, but which (laughs) came first for you, if it's even possible to separate it into like the psychological passion for you, or was it the artistic passion and how did they blend together to become art therapy for, for your work? Absolutely. It it was 100% the art first. Yeah. That's what I thought. (laughs) It came before the the cognition uh, for me. Yeah. Um, I, from a very young age, uh, so I'm told, um, was always drawn, no pun intended, to the, uh, to the arts that my, my mother says that I had exquisite attention to detail, even as a kindergartner, 
drawing with crayons. Um, and so I, I embraced that as a young child and I felt validated mm. looking back. I feel, I, I feel like I felt validated by it because simply put, and this is kind of strange to admit that I was, I was encouraged. I got praised because of my art. Mm. So I sought it out further. And not only was the praise important as a young child, but I, I believe that the feeling of being able to express inner worlds and to make something beautiful was very, very satisfying. Mm. Um, and eventually it became just an everyday uh, experience. How, oh my gosh, how amazing it was to have art day in elementary school that <laughs> could not wait for that. Um, and so I continued to just obviously do that. And I'm very fortunate that both of my parents who are non-artists <laughs> were so supportive, uh, throughout my entire life and encouraged me to continue to do so. Um, so the art came, um, again at a young age, but it was really my teenage years and early teen years growing up a small girl in uh, middle of nowhere, Wisconsin in a small town. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had nothing going wrong, but I was just, you know, a hormonal angsty teenager. As <laughs> we all were. Yeah. yeah, naturally. Um, and art was a way for me to feel like I belonged, to feel that uh, I could take materials and apply my brooding, uh, you know, woe is me, no one understands me. Uh, this guy will maybe pay attention to me mm. if I make something uh, amazing, you know, they, mm. these selfish teenage needs. Um, but it was really helpful. And uh, not only developing my handling of these materials, but my comprehension of the process and what it meant to me uh, mm. only further solidified what I wanted to do with my life. Um, and then I, college was not, not an option. I know that's a double negative, but my parents are like, you're going to college, which again, what a privilege to be forced to go to college. Right. Right. Um, usually, right. Um, so I knew I wanted to go into the arts. Um, and I didn't know what that meant. Mm -hmm. I, kind of had this lofty idea, you know, the romanticized idea of I'm going to have a painting studio and work uh, day and night sipping wine while I reflect on my. Yeah, (laughs) that that sounds pretty awesome. Right. (coughs) But um, the reality of that isn't isn't there. Um, So I went to college and um, just had a broad area, uh, declared a broad area art degree. And I eventually got into printmaking and photography, um, more so than painting and drawing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was my sophomore year that I stumbled upon, very wayward still, <laughs> early on in college, uh, stumbled upon an elective called Introduction to Art Therapy. And I'm like, oh, well, that sounds great, whatever. Um, and immediately on that first day, even on syllabus day, I was like, this is what I'm meant to hmm. do. Wow. Wow, a, a lightning bolt of mm. coming from a, di- a tradition of uh, my family of teachers, educators, and people um, in the medical tradition, um, being able to use your talents and skills to benefit others. Uh, the will to want to better the world through your work it has yeah. always resonated uh, with me uh, and been modeled. So I was like, how cool is that? I get to use art to help people, something Mm. I'm passionate about and another thing that I think is uh, wildly important in this world. 
Wow, and immediately that day after the first day, I, do, I went and declared a uh, psychology minor hmm. and just worked through the rest of my co- uh, college career and found that the intertwining of my psychology classes and my art classes made sense. Hmm. The concepts of psychology influenced my understanding of my artwork and my artwork processes under, uh, influenced my comprehension of the items in psychology. Hmm. That's so, so cool. Yeah, it, it's really a magical thing. And once you start paying attention to it, mm-hmm. that I found, um, it, it just, it kind of uh, dually impacted my understanding in relationship to those. Yeah. And that's, I'm just um, thinking about how many people um, have a similar like uh, instinct, innate instinct to create something beautiful, whether it's visual art or something, you know, movements with dance or sculpture with your hands or, you know, music, um, theater. But I think so many of us, maybe it's just those of us who are a little bit, you know, in our thirties, (laughs) forties, not the millennials, because they may not have have to deal with this as much, but but we we were, a lot of people were told by, you know, well-meaning adults, parents, Mm -hmm. teachers that you can't make a living out of that. And, you know, that you're, you should try to get a more, quote, stable job. But it sounds like that wasn't the case for you with your parents. And, and you had, it sounds like you had support. So I'm wondering, like, was it, where, what, how did you, <laughs> I mean, maybe it's as simple as you said, you laid it out, but was there anything that made it different for you? So you didn't have that kind of limiting belief in your mind that you weren't going to, it couldn't be a, a viable career? Right. And I was still fed that idea. Hmm. Um, I think culture feeds us that idea, especially in American uh, contemporary culture, that the arts are frivolous, they're fun, but it's not a job. You need to pay your bills. So, um, you know, find something that will be uh, that will be able to give you a paycheck. And, um, and I technically am considered a millennial. Um, I'm Mm. 31. Mm. And so I'm at the tail end of that. I'm kind of an old millennial, I guess, but, uh, so, but I noticed, especially within the college students that I teach that are 18, 19, 20, they were born in 1997, 1998, 1999. So they have really within that, that the past two and a half decades have been taught that you have to be practical about your future. Hmm. Um, more so even than I was. And so when I, when I encounter students that say, well, my parents don't want me to do this. I'm like, well, screw that. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to do what you want. Right. But there's expectation that we don't want to fail. Uh, of course, none of us want to fail. What fun is that? Um, and there's something very delicate about, the creative process, whether it is music, whether it is dance, whether it is writing or, um, the fine arts that there's this, there's this viewpoint that failure is automatically attached to those creative disciplines Mm. based on somebody's perception of talent or success. So Mm. there's a lot of risk involved because you're being vulnerable in your expression. You're putting yourself out there. You're wearing or creating or dancing out your heart and if someone rejects that that is painful yeah so you know we as humans are I think we're wired to avoid that and 
even if it hasn't happened, we don't want pain. Mm-hmm. Um, so I find that the biggest deterrent with, you know, especially students today, college students today is I don't want people to see me be vulnerable and I don't want to try something that I don't think I'm good at. Mm-hmm. So with this notion of artistic development and creativity, we all start in the same place as children. We all start drawing the same. It's mm-hmm. predictable. Drawing development in children across time and space, regardless of culture, sex, uh, socioeconomic status, we all have predictable stages of development up until about the age nine or 10. Mm-hmm. So all of us, we're scribbling circles by the age of two. All of us were starting to develop really abstract human forms by the age of three or four. But what happens as um, our fine motor skills are developing and thus in the process, our drawings become more detailed and refined. Up until about the age nine or 10, uh, education gets the best of us. Mm -hmm. That's about fourth or fifth grade. And the schoolwork is starting to get heavier. Uh, we That's the age where we start caring about what peers think, and especially older adults, whether teachers or parents. And we're more, we're very open and uh, exposed to criticism. And so, and naturally at that age, other activities come in like music or sports or other activities, which is completely normal. Mm-hmm. But it's really... <laughs> I referred to it recently as the bastardization of education. Yeah, yeah. You become kind of hit with it, this expectation. This is my little education soapbox. Welcome. That's good. This is good. (laughs) Um, Where standardized testing has taught us that there is a right or wrong answer. Don't mess it up or else you won't get into the right college. You won't get the job. You won't get married and you're going to die alone. Now, (laughs) (laughs) of course, that makes total sense. It snowballs really, really quick. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Can't help but think that way if, you know, if I don't complete A, then B won't happen, C, um, so on and so forth. Um, But this, this really, (laughs) fourth grade, you start to feel this way, this sense of helplessness and lack of control. So the arts really do start to suffer. And we start to develop this defeatist mentality of, oh, I'm not good enough, or I'm, I wasn't born with it, or, um, you know, why bother? Um, and so this is a critical point where children either continue to explore this, uh, what I would say is wholeheartedly, or they're just doing it because it's assigned. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's variable processes where, you know, maybe someone goes through art to middle school, then stops high school, whatever. Um, but it is really, I believe, uh, influenced by the supportive peers and other individuals in somebody's life. Yeah. Well, it sounds like for you, you had parents encouraging you and supporting you. Did that make a difference in, in terms of that not happening to you? The art didn't fall away for you? and get replaced Uh, by other things at at the time. I don't think I realized it. Mm -hmm. Um, what a blessing that was. Yeah. Uh, but absolutely now looking back, I didn't even, you know, I didn't even think twice about it. Like it was just something natural. Like, well, yeah, everybody does this. Um, everybody's parents, you know, love them and will support whatever they're doing. Mm -hmm. Um, and then only, you know, once you (laughs) hear of other people's, uh, truths about that, how that's not everywhere, 
Yeah. Um, it definitely takes on a whole appreciation. So I truly believe in developing this creative spirit and willingness to practice the creative arts. Uh, it does depend on your support system. Um, and as we move into adulthood, uh, I find so often within, especially the past three years, there's this, there's this desire for people to rediscover their creative nature. Oh, absolutely. Yes. I see that all the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was going through, I went through it myself. I still am. <laughs> and that's great. Yeah. And, you know, to, to listen to that calling and, and honor that, whether it is just through, I mean, just an example of all the paint and drink nights or paint and sip nights. Right. Or the adult coloring books or this notion of just small creative crafts that you can pick up at Michael's or whatever mm-hmm. art store. There's this desire to not only make, but also feel good at the same time. And so with these options, like I just mentioned, these are low stake artistic endeavors. Mm. There's not a lot of, you know, risk involved with that. Right. Um, and that's great. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, but definitely showing us as a culture, wow, we need to we need to hit pause and reassess mm-hmm. how the arts are influential. Um, and just this past Saturday, I was running a mixed media group in a very small town adjacent to where I live, and it was a collection of uh, ten kind of middle aged women. And here I am, kind of I'm I don't really look like the typical. <laughs> Um, teacher, <laughs> but I'm That's trying. Good. That's good. <laughs> yeah, I, I like it. <laughs> I yeah. uh, I was trying to. This was the second session of of, of this mixed media class, and I was uh, trying to energize them. And I had some new uh, participants, and this one woman said, "I haven't done this since I was a kid, mm. and I'm not creative." And I said, "Whoa, whoa, 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 whoa! You are. So, I'm so happy that you are here." You, and she was probably in her 60s, but I said, better late than never. You are kind of honoring your needs right now, and there's no wrong way to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, let's have fun. And we tend to put so much pressure on ourselves yeah. that, you know, I have to make something that saves the world. And yeah. if, if this isn't, if this doesn't get made. Or has oh to be God. good, has to be, quote, good, right? right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> does that mean? And again, I think I refer back to the educational system is that we have these standards put up in place, which are totally subjective. There's the academic way of making art where in colleges and art schools, um, those institutions are there to help artists develop their skills as well as critical thinking and content. But then there's the frivolous, spontaneous making and expressing just because you want to. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean it's any more or less better or mm-hmm. um, less meaningful. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I think sometimes we see people's works, you know, like yours maybe, or, or Picasso's or Dali or, you know, and, and we think, oh, that's so good. I could never do that. But we don't see a lot of their works that didn't get make it into museums that maybe they didn't like, you know, they, maybe they, I mean, it's so subjective, good, but maybe it turned out like all the colors together made this big brown gob. <laughs> and, <laughs> yes. You know, maybe that's beautiful to some people, but maybe they're just like, I don't want to show that to people. It's not particularly pleasing to the eye. So, you know, it's like, I think we, we see, you know, we are, we get stuck in this mindset of what good is in terms of any form of art and, and don't know that there are lots of musicians who write so many different songs or writers who write so many different 
stories that they never show anybody because they just don't think they don't want to. So, you know, it's like it's not everything that comes out of everybody's uh, mouths or through their hands or, you know, through their bodies is something that um, that they would even consider, quote, good. You know what I mean? Exactly. And yeah. I've, I've made more art than people have ever seen or never seen, rather. Uh, it, 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 the stuff, the, the artwork that gets seen is the result of <laughs> a of lot of work. The, yeah. Yeah. A lot of work of all the failures of all the art pieces that didn't make it or are still mm-hmm. in progress. I mean, mm-hmm. right now I'm looking at my studio table and it's just, it's kind of like the junk drawer in yeah. my living room because that's where everything is, where the end of the day, it just gets stacked. So right now it's serving the purpose of storage. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's piles of paper that, may never see the light of day again. There's some may that may develop later, but, um, this, this idea of having to finish something and have it be good is a little bit toxic. Yeah. And uh, giving, giving yourself the time to explore. And what I really believe in is play of playing with ideas, playing Mm -hmm. with material. I love just mixing paint yeah. That in itself is very, very satisfying. Mm-hmm. I just like to play with color. Whether that color gets used is up for time to tell. But we need to, this is my opinion, we need to get back to what are your needs right now? What can be done for you? Forget everybody else. Forget what everybody thinks. Within the creative ventures, whether, again, we talked about the variety of expressive arts, what do you need to explore? Yeah. And you don't have to tell anyone about it. You don't have to make a public declaration of, I'm trying something new. <laughs> right. Uh, you don't have to do that. It can be very satisfying to have uh, what a dear uh, colleague of mine, Rhonda Willers, calls uh, secret work, where you don't show anyone. And it mm-hmm. feels like this nice, warm little secret that is just yours. Yeah. In the form of artwork. Yeah. I do that with articles I write that never see anything <laughs> in the light of the day, or I just write. I write about. It's like a, it's like I think I'm gonna say this earlier that we create really to release and express emotion. And for me, mm-hmm. like I writing is my create one of my big creative pursuits. And and often when I just feel like stuck, usually a lot of it's like negative stuff, right? Like it needs <laughs> yeah. to be expressed. I just, I sit, I open my word. I sometimes write in my journal or now I started opening word and typing stuff up, knowing it might become an article or a blog post. It's like whatever I am expressing might be of help to somebody else um, mm-hmm. in their struggles. So I think, but I think, you know, what I was going to say too, when, when you were talking earlier was, is so often people, you know, don't, create the time to do this and I don't you know I think a lot of it's because our society's like we're so wired that we want short-term results you know we don't see the immediate results of mixing paint together like oh does that mean I'm going to get second place in the art show you know if if like we could get that really fast like I'm going to mix this paint throw together a painting enter Mm -hmm. the art show and hopefully win a prize but it doesn't work that way right it takes no absolutely not (laughs) and so it's it I just had a student, I was erasing a chalkboard after my last class. It's a two-dimensional design course at the college I teach at. And this uh, this gal was working on some of her classwork. 
and I was erasing the chalkboard and all of a sudden after moments of silence, she asked me, how do you find the time to make? Mm. And I said, that's an excellent question. Mm -hmm. I'm still figuring it out because I stumbled into this teaching position never thinking I was going to teach. I thought I was just going to be an art therapist and an artist. But now I have this nice trifecta where I teach three days a week and I do therapy two days a week. And then I come home to my art studio every night. But after those long days of teaching and those long days of therapy, both which are physically and emotionally exhausting, there's there's the, the regular mundane everyday crap that needs to get done, the dishes, the laundry, the, the organization, the paying of bills. And how do you muster the energy to sit down and make something if yeah. you're exhausted or not in the mood? Yeah. And this is, this takes practice because within the academic sense, you have somebody telling you when something's due, you have somebody giving you a project, but after college, you don't have anyone telling <laughs> you to do. Right. So finding a structure and imposing a structure for yourself that is realistic um, is so important and finding people to support you in that. Mm -hmm. So in my life, I have a great collection of treasured colleagues, of uh, artist friends, and then my significant other, he is a graphic designer, so he completely understands uh, what this feels like. And so kind of holding oneself accountable. So last night was, I came home after a very long but good day and I was physically sore. And the last thing I want to do is make art. But I'm like, you need to. And you know you like it, so do it. (laughs) And, And so what I tend to do, especially on days like that, is I will set a timer on my phone. Whether, depending on the night, 15 minutes or 30 minutes. And I will just make in my sketchbook. I'll do doodles. I'll just play with color. Nothing revolutionary. Maybe I will work on a piece that I've started. But once that timer goes off, sometimes I'm (coughs) cool. I'm done. Glad that's out of the way. And other times I'm like, I'm glad I started this. I'm going to keep going tonight. That's just so, just 15 minutes. It, it doesn't, that's not very long at all. 15, right. 30 minutes. That's a really, really useful tip. <laughs> Timers yeah. on phones I can't it be underestimated. Be out, it doesn't have to be hours. It doesn't have to be an all-nighter. It yeah. can be very simple. Uh, and what I like to do is I like to listen to podcasts. My recent, <laughs> this is maybe reflective on the work that I do, but I like listening to just true crime podcast. (laughs) That's so funny. True crime. That's so funny. (laughs) Uh, And a little tidbit, uh, a couple of years ago for about three years, I worked in, um, the local County jail with the female inmates doing art therapy. Mm -hmm. And I loved working with them because one, they were the most creative people I've ever met. Wow. Uh, making things out of the materials they had. Um, it was just fascinating and it was very humbling. And we have this perception of criminals, but there's a world of hurt out there. And these, this, any of these women could have been me, you know, just depending on life, uh, poor choices or circumstance. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it felt so satisfying for me to see them, 
um, their faces light up when I brought in smelly markers. What <laughs> a small novelty that I would take for granted. Or to be able to share their truths about their hardship, about addiction, about relationships, about missing their children. Yeah. Um, and so they didn't, they didn't feel like, you know, the felons or criminals that they were, they're human and that we all are in need of feeling that sense of belonging and feeling listened to and and being seen. So with it back to the true crime podcast. So they're kind of dark, but I like playing the game of being able to try to solve the crime before, (laughs) before the, the narrator gets around to it. So, you know, in a way, I feel like I'm solving a puzzle within my artwork. Like I'm solving my own (laughs) murder mystery. That's so interesting. Um, Yeah. So putting pieces together, seeing what works, what doesn't, and eventually maybe coming to an end. So. Well, that's also, yeah. And that's that ego side, or I don't know if it's the ego side, but just the other, another, keeping the other part of your brain occupied, maybe. Exactly. Yeah. And that's why some people like music, um, because it's, and so you're, you're, you, you're simulating almost that different part of yourself through you. It's channeling. I I think that's so funny. The true crime podcast. It's like one of those things. Hey, it works. I wouldn't share on my likes or dislikes page, you know, yeah. or something. but it's the truth. Like, but it works for you. Everybody's different. Yeah. yeah. And I do sometimes listen to music while I make, it's what I call sad bastard music. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you have to have this angst to create, I mean, there's a stereotype. You have to be like depressed or angry to create something beautiful, but <laughs> yeah, this, it's usually this, you know, melodic, pensive, very mm-hmm eloquent words and yeah yep. <laughs> but I find that I go to that place like oh we're overthinking this now um that I become almost overly involved in my thought process when listening to sad bastard music yeah. so I find that just listening to podcasts is extremely helpful yeah. ahead, well, so. and, I, and I was thinking just something when you were talking about the women in prison uh, <laughs> that some people can't find the words to express the pain or the trauma or that they've been through or that they're going through. And, and so art, you know, drawing something or making something out of clay or whatever it is, moving your body around or, you know, singing with your voice, it can, it's, it seems like it's a much more low barrier way to just release emotion. Yes. And that's not, maybe that's why it was so effective for them, for those women. Right. And so we would call this a metaverbal expression, meaning it's beyond words, because there's so much pain in this world and we all have our unique hardships. And um, so with art therapy, what kind of differentiates this from uh, other forms of therapy is that we're able to tap into more authentic, raw emotions more immediately. And in a safer way, because if I were to ask someone about their traumatic, you know, abusive relationship, uh, yeah, tell me about that. Nobody wants to talk about that shit ever. (laughs) Right. It brings up pain. Even if you have the words, you don't want to talk about it. So by making art and having some structure within, uh, we call them directives, not projects because projects is kind of campy and feels like school. So um, within uh, using an art directive with a client to use, we, we, we love the metaphor, the use of metaphor in art therapy. Mm-hmm. And a, an old standard is uh, using the metaphor of say, you know, create your, if you were a tree, 
what kind of tree would you be? Where, what would that look like? Where is your tree located? What's the topography? What's the environment? How deep do the roots go? Hmm. How, what does the bark feel like? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, is your tree barren? What type of leaves does it have? Is it bearing fruit? Is there junk in the tree? You know, like mm-hmm. it can be expressed very literally. It could be expressed uh, very abstractly. It could be a combination of the two. Mm-hmm. So by discussing, if I were to have a client then talk about the tree, they're essentially talking about themselves. Right. And so, and I would just like to point out also, there's a large misconception about art therapy that as an art therapist, I can look at somebody's um, artwork and diagnose them or know what's going on. It's absolutely not true. Um, the, The whole point is that the image belongs to the client. Because again, art is super subjective. It is open for interpretation. It's not like I can look at that tree drawing and say like, oh yes, that makes so much sense now. Obviously, there was an underdeveloped parental relationship in your childhood. That you know, I can't see Thank that. Thank goodness in- you can't. That would be terrifying, <laughs> yeah. right? Right. And let yeah. alone what people see in my work, you know. So right. um, so being able to give a client permission to talk about these aspects of relationship and hardship mm. and these things which had them seek this help. empowers them so we're getting to use language through artwork that is able to reframe the way somebody problem solves to reframe the way that they view themselves to empower them to give them coping mechanisms through artwork and apply that to their lives yeah and And yeah. No, go ahead. I was going to say it's a safe way to do it because it you're is. not bringing up these words like abuse or, you know, things that really kind of trigger people and bring them back to that painful place. And, and the other thing is that I just keep thinking of is that they're working with their soul, which is mm-hmm. what exactly. often gets damaged and doesn't get healed. <laughs> right. And so how are you supposed to thrive if, you, if your soul is hurt mm-hmm. and in need of uh, care? Yeah. And just, I'm thinking of this one client I've had years ago where we did the tree exercise and she drew a lawnmower in her tree branches. Wow. And mm. she laughed at it. And I said, tell me what's going on. And she says, well, it's not supposed to be there and it's hurting the branches. And she's laughing. And I said, what are you laughing about? And she's like, I think this is my husband, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you know, and she's able to have that sense of humor. Like we don't have to be so damn serious all the time either. Right. Like, right. You and it's just, you know, it wasn't like the relationship was, um, uh, awful, but you know, it's not supposed to be there or something needs to be fixed or put in its place or mm-hmm. something. However she needed to express that image, but it was just like, there's a lawnmower in a tree. Yeah. That is amazing. And that she was able to find some insight or some directionality within that. Yeah. You, I mean, we could have maybe gotten there with some talk therapy. That's fine. But this was, I think, just that that visual item of a a lawnmower. Yeah. Well, it comes up so immediately. It's like your high, (laughs) I like to talk about the higher self, which is like the soul. But it's like it, often when we talk, the ego part of ourself, that negative thinking, the logical mind starts to come in and be like, well, it's probably not. Your husband really isn't that bad because he does all those great things and you should be grateful about, you know, like, and, and, but when you're drawing, it's like, how do you, you, how do you 
articulate those thoughts into a picture. It's like it, you really can't, you know. So it's like you just your higher self, I imagine, is just doing the work and, and doesn't make room. There's no room for that ego mind unless, of course, my problem. Maybe and now I'm saying this. Maybe your ego mind. Oh, that's not good or whatever. But <laughs> yeah. but it's like it's such a more uh, pure and direct way to get to those to get to you, your true inner um, story, <laughs> I guess. Okay. Um, and I, I speak a lot about confrontation, and that word confrontation usually has a negative view, like it's bad confrontation. Hmm. But I think confrontation is healthy, and we use this a lot in artwork, where we're able to confront ourselves in a, in a safe way. We're able to confront our needs and our desires and mm. our shortcomings in an appropriate, healthy way. And it's through that confrontation where change and understanding happens. It's through that hardship and calling a spade a spade that we're able to move on and we're able to develop new ways of going forward. And this notion of soul, I talk about soul, um, as practicing soul, like artwork is practicing soul in a way. Yeah, that's nice. And that I do believe comes from uh, one of my mentors in graduate school, um, the art therapist, Bruce Moon, called it practicing soul. And it is an application of reaching within yourself and exploring the essence of being human, this expressiveness and connecting yourself with uh, things that again, are hard to put into words or mm -hmm. feelings. I always talk about the, the feeling of uh, the, the theory of the sublime, where we can, be, we can encounter these awe-inspiring uh, forces of nature, interactions with others, that you are so dumbfounded by the awesomeness or the catastrophe of something, where you, it, there are no words for it. So mm -hmm. And this is kind of a romantic, um, I think the romantics uh, in the 1800s uh, tried to capture this through mm. landscapes of artwork that nature is so amazing and that there's something <laughs> spiritual about that. Mm. And so using art as a spiritual practice or a meditative practice has, again, uh, been around since uh, since very early on. And... And soul is a really tricky word <coughs> yeah. because, and there are people that are uncomfortable with it. And I would say 10 years ago, I would have probably been uncomfortable with it. Mm -hmm. But through that continuous practice of making artwork, there is definitely soul involved. And I keep on bringing up vulnerability and this ability to be genuine, even though what may be expressed is new or unknown or strange. <sighs> That is so important in that, in cultivating that authentic, genuine life, mm. which I think has a lot to do with inward searching mm -hmm. or that essence of the soul. Mm -hmm. That's <coughs> so beautifully stated. I'm, um, I was just thinking about something that you just said, backing up for a second about the women and the tree. I'm still thinking about the lawnmower and the tree. <laughs> yeah. so, yes, of course. So it's like, how did, with art therapy, that's what's so fascinating about it to me is it's not just art. You're not just teaching people art and you're drawing, mm -hmm. but you're actually, oh. so then you start, so it opens a door, you know, for her to maybe, she started talking about, it represents her husband. So then what do you do 
with when she starts talking about her husband, do you like kind of set the drawing aside and talk it or does she just keep drawing and, or how do, how does that work? I'm just curious. <clears throat> I mean, how do you, um, the process? Yeah. Does yeah. she keep talking uh, about it or do you encourage her to keep talking about it or does she go back to drawing and not, you know, talk or I guess there's probably no recipe, but. Yeah, it, and it it depends on the uh, the client. It depends on uh, the the environment. But with this individual, um, what I do with my clients is I make artwork alongside with them. Mm-hmm. Because if you remember, I remember being stared at by an yeah. art teacher while I'm making, and it's super uncomfortable. Yeah, right. So I like to make with them. I don't bring my A game of artistry you know I kind of casually make with them and we do check-ins you know we talk about with this particular one we talked about how she was doing what's going on um so it's still able to do some talk therapy elements while making and then once the piece was done with her we broke down the image and were was able to go about it so the image is there it's almost like a third person in in the room the art serves as this third entity so it's there and we're it's it's talking through it talking with it mm-hmm. um and at this point that tree drawing with the lawnmower was completed mm-hmm. um but there are some groups where with group processes um there'll be different structures of we talk about how it feels to make art about the process rather than the final product mm. Um, and so it really depends on the client's needs uh, about where that particular individual or group is at and what they need to explore. Yeah. Some clients don't want to talk, move from that metaphoric talk to, uh, back to, I guess, uh, everyday conversation about describing something directly. Hmm. They want to stay in the metaphor and that's fine. Uh, depending on their needs. Um, some of them don't want to talk about it. Some of them, um, some individuals that I work with just want to make the art and have conversation or feel that, that the process is enough for them. And again, this is all, this is all contingent on the specific client's treatment goals and needs and where they're at in that moment. Yeah. And you're there. Yeah. There is no formula. Yeah. Of we're going to do this, this, and this. Right. But it has to be, it has to be natural. Yeah. And you're trained to notice when, when, when to suggest something and when not to, I imagine, or you follow your own gut. Yeah. And, you know, paying attention to body language or how they're holding an art material, how, um, their affect is their, uh, their tone and their voice. So these things are all very informative in what me as the therapist were to take this where to take a particular session. Yeah. So where do people want, if people want to take classes with you, um, I know you're in Wisconsin, but where, how do yeah. they find you? How do they find me? Yeah. <laughs> or they just want to work with you or learn more yeah, about you. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I live in River Falls, Wisconsin, which is about 10 miles from the Minnesota border. Um, I'm about 30 minutes from the Twin Cities. Um, and I do teach at the University of Wisconsin River Falls in the art department there. Um, I do teach community art classes at Fox Den Books here in River Falls. I run kid, adult, and teen art classes. Um, I 
serve a variety of populations in the St. Croix Valley here. Uh, currently, I am working with uh, teens and young adults with depression and anxiety and some trauma, as well as some private practice work. So people can contact me by emailing me uh, at uh, lawtonae at gmail.com. Uh, and then I do have a website, aelawton.com. Right. And um, I think I'll send you uh, all the links and stuff yes. to put in this yes. little box with you. But I do, I start, I, I use Instagram a lot as a marketing tool mm-hmm. and to show people what I'm working on. Yeah, you're beautiful. I love oh, looking at your Instagram posts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so um, with that, it's AE underscore L A W T O N for the Instagram handle. Right. So, well, I just, one last question that I yeah. have for you, which is people, you know, I work with a lot of, um, I think I mentioned this, clients who almost universally crave to cr- make something with their hands um, or express themselves some, in some way artistically or um, in craft, which is the same, basically. Yes. So how, do, but there's so much, and whether or not they, they may not even want to make it a career, maybe they're just, they just want to, they just want to feed that part of themselves, but there's so much so often that ego voice of, you know, you don't have time for it or you're too tired or it's not going to be good enough comes up. And so what words of advice mm-hmm. might you have for people that really are, that want to dive in, but are being held back in some way? I always, when I'm feeling stuck and when I'm feeling intimidated, because I don't care how long you're doing this, that stuff never goes away. <laughs> that yeah. feeling of insecurity, you know, and you have to work through it. I truly believe that making, making anything is a way of tapping into that. So that could be uh, working in the garden, building birdhouses, working on a car, knitting, Mm. uh, doing stitch work, um, throwing pottery. It does not matter. It doesn't have to be what we consider necessarily fine art. Mm -hmm. Making things is a way of getting in touch with yourself and that uh, that essence of that creative spirit. Yeah. I highly recommend that, I mean, there's such an abundance within even small town communities like the one that I live in, where there are classes being offered, that there are, you know, maybe um, book clubs, or there's just uh, community events to go be around curious, like-minded people. Mm -hmm. And that is really a critical point in getting in touch with one's creative self of being exposed to new ideas. Uh, I like to offer challenges to clients and students alike to take oneself on an artistic date. This doesn't mean you have to make art, but take yourself to a gallery, take yourself to um, a nice lunch and walk around or go for a nature uh, exp- expedition. It doesn't have to be directly rooted in the physical making of anything, but exposing yourself to these new experiences to shift your mindset from your normal everyday routines. Uh, and that in itself, these simple pleasures, uh, the one I just gave my students was go to the dollar store and buy stickers and pipe cleaners, <laughs> toy, uh, toy animals, like just play. That's awesome. That essence of play is so important and being silly, like not taking yourself too seriously and we, yeah. with the artwork too, you know, getting stressed out and like, 
even starting, staring at a big blank white page of paper is so intimidating. And what I do <laughs> is I just scribble on it. Yeah. Wildly for 30 seconds. And damn it, there's something on the paper that's so great. <laughs> I started. And I always refer to it's just paper. It's yeah. just a canvas. You are not working with expensive materials. This yeah. is not, again, a high stakes situation. It's just paper. That's great. And you're a part, and how amazing is it that you're a part of this human narrative, this human tradition where humans have been working with paper for thousands and thousands of years and you're still using it. It's you're honoring those who came before you within this practice. Yeah, yeah that's beautiful. <laughs> Thank you so much, Anne, for Thank such, you, Rachel. Yes. so many. Um, words of wisdom and um, sharing your experience with, with people would I feel inspired by and I'm just thinking about my own creative life so I'm sure this is going to really speak to many people so great. I really appreciate your taking the time to talk with me of course it's such a delight to speak with you Rachel Yeah. any last words you want to shout out my, there my or? kind of uh, philosophy with it especially when I myself am feeling a little stuck is yeah. stay curious uh, mm -hmm. As long as you're curious about the world that you live in and the relationships that you're in and what you're doing, you're probably doing a good job or uh, pr try practicing curiosity nice. also. And really what it boils down to for me time and time again is, you know, all we really have to do with one another, especially in this time of the world, is we have to be brave for one another and we have to remember to be kind to one another. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, totally. Well, thank you so much, Anne. I really appreciate it. Have a great morning and day. Thank you. Thank you so much, Rachel. Thank you for listening to this interview. I hope you enjoyed it. This has been the Courageous Path podcast. And don't forget to subscribe or follow it here. To learn more about me, you can find me at www.soulfulworkconsulting.com. And I'm Rachel Horton White of Soulful Work Intuitive Consulting. Hope to see you next time and have a wonderful day.